remind our senators that they alone are accountable to you for their conduct. Lord, help them to remember that they can't ignore you and get away with it. For we always reap what we sow. Well said, Mr. Preacher. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Red Bluff and Redding, California, that is, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. I know Paul Ryan is listening in today as we go to air. And of course, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your convenience on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, where we are celebrating 16 years of troublemaking, muckraking, and all of the above. Uh, thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Well, if you can't tell, I'm already a little bit confused <laughs> as we go to air today uh, in the middle of everything that is going on uh, in the U.S. Senate. As we go to air, the Senate trial of Donald John Trump continues, though, for all we know, by the time some of you folks here Today's broadcast on your own local affiliate station or via podcast, this thing could all be wrapped up or it could still be going. Uh, what Donald Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had hoped would be the final day for the third impeachment trial ever uh, in the U.S. Senate of a uh, of a U.S. president. Uh, they had hoped that Friday would be that last day though uh, one that uh, would feature zero witnesses that is still appears to be on target as to what will happen. Uh, It would be the first such trial in uh, U.S. history where there were no witnesses in the U.S. Senate in an impeachment trial. The president's attorneys are making their argument as to why there should not be any witnesses for the first time ever. 
uh, in past impeachment trials. Uh, we have had, by the way, 15 of them over the past 250 years or so. There have always been witnesses. Not so this time if this vote proceeds as it looks like it will on Friday. In theory, after the uh, White House team wraps up their their argument as to why there should not be witnesses, theoretically, a vote will then follow. But before the session even started on Friday, the New York Times came out with yet another blockbuster that shook things up at least just a bit on Friday morning reporting more than two months before he asked Ukraine's president to investigate his political opponents, President Trump directed John Bolton, then his national security advisor, to help with his pressure campaign to extract damaging information on Democrats from Ukrainian officials. That, according to the still unpublished manuscript of John Bolton's upcoming book. Trump gave the instruction, according to Bolton, during an Oval Office conversation in early May that included the acting White House Chief of Staff Mike Mulvaney, the president's personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani, and White House counsel Pat Cipollone, who is now leading the president's impeachment uh, defense team and who has been very busy over recent days arguing that the Democratic House managers have been, quote, hiding the facts in their presentation of the case against the president. Turns out Pat Cipollone has been hiding the fact that he knew about this scheme a long, long time ago. At least if uh, John Bolton is correct here, uh, he knew very long ago about this very scheme that he has been arguing, oh, never actually happened. The White House counsel and Trump's lead defense attorney in the impeachment trial should be called as a witness himself, as far as I'm concerned. And there would be no attorney client privilege to bar his testimony because that privilege was waived if John Bolton and Mulvaney, Mick Mulvaney, were in the room at the time of the conversation. Now, I'm no attorney, but that is my understanding of attorney-client privilege on something like that. Trump, according to the New York Times account of Bolton's upcoming book on Friday afternoon, told Bolton to call Vladimir Zelensky, who had recently won election as president of Ukraine. This was early last year to ensure Zelensky to ensure that Zelensky would meet with Mr. Giuliani, who was planning a trip to Ukraine to discuss the investigations that the president was seeking. Bolton never made the call that he was directed to by the president. Why? Well, we know that he later regarded this entire scheme as a, quote, drug deal that he was uh, that, that was being, quote, cooked up by White House acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney and that Giuliani was, quote, going to blow us all up. The previously undisclosed directive that Bolton describes would be the earliest known instance of Trump seeking to harness the power of the U.S. government to advance his pressure campaign against Ukraine, as he later did on the July phone call with Zelensky that triggered the whistleblower complaint and then these impeachment proceedings. House Democrats have accused him of abusing his uh, authority, Donald Trump, and are arguing that their uh, case before senators in the impeachment trial of Trump, even as we go to air today, his lawyers are arguing, continue to argue that he did nothing wrong. So more news coming out uh, in advance of the vote on witnesses. 
the Trump immediately put out a statement uh, denying Bolton's account of what happened. Giuliani denied the conversation took place. But as we reported a day or so ago, Donald Trump's former chief of staff, General John Kelly, has said that if Bolton says it, he at least believes that he is telling the truth and has said that Bolton should be brought into the Senate trial as a witness. Donald Trump's own former White House chief of staff says John Bolton should be a witness. That, however, is looking less and less likely as we go to air. Uh, there were uh, four senators would be needed four Republican senators would be needed to vote along with all of the Democrats, if in fact all of the Democrats do vote uh, for witnesses. Uh, as we go to air, Senator Susan Collins of Maine has said, yes, she would vote for witnesses. I don't know if Romney, Mitt Romney of Utah, has officially said he would. He's believed to be a yes vote. Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, the retiring senator, has said no. And Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has said no. She also would not call for witnesses. The uh, reason that Alexander, Senator Alexander gave on Thursday night was spelled out in a statement that he issued saying there is no need for more evidence to prove something that has already been proven and that does not meet the U.S. Constitution's high bar for an impeachable offense. So he says the case has already been proven. He believes that it has happened. He believes Trump did it. He just doesn't believe that it is impeachable. He says there's no need for more evidence to conclude that the president withheld U.S. aid, at least in part, to pressure Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. The House managers have proved this with what they call a, quote, mountain of overwhelming evidence. It was inappropriate, he says, for the president to ask a foreign leader to investigate his political opponent and to withhold United States aid to encourage that investigation. But... The Constitution does not give the Senate the power to remove the president from office and ban him from this year's ballot simply for actions that are inappropriate. He goes on to say the question is not whether the president did it, but whether the U.S. Senate or the American people should decide what to do about what he did. He said, I believe the Constitution provides that the people should make that decision in the presidential election that begins in Monday uh, on Monday in Iowa. So I guess what he's saying is that presidents may only be allowed to be impeached in their second term. I guess I may have missed that part of the Constitution. Also, the part of the Constitution that says a Supreme Court justice may not be appointed to the court in the last year of the president's term. I guess I missed that part as well, uh, Desi Doyen. You know, for a party who likes to pretend that they believe only in the literal written text of the Constitution, they sure do find a whole lot of stuff that does not even exist in that Constitution. And don't be fooled. If the tables were turned in any way whatsoever, Republicans would immediately dispense with whatever they've said over the last months and years and do whatever will work for them politically. Whatever it is, the, doesn't matter. You know, the fact that they just make things up that are in the Constitution. Well, we can't do that. The Constitution provides for an election in this case. No, it provides for an impeachment in this case. The election is going to happen no matter what. But the fact that they just, you know, Republicans just make stuff up out of the Constitution, it is one of the reasons why I reject the idea that these people should be called conservatives. 
because of their, you know, their conservative, their textualist, their originalist interpretation of the law and the Constitution as it was written, when in fact they believe in no such thing and they prove that time and time again. They are instead radicals with liberal interpretations of both the law and the Constitution. Yes, you heard me, you heard me right. Republicans are liberals. They are not progressives, but they are liberals when it comes to their interpretation of the Constitution, which, you know, they interpret only to suit their needs of any particular moment. Uh, Alexander went on to say that even if the House charges were true, they do not meet the Constitution's treason, bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanor standards for an impeachable offense. Our founding documents provide for duly elected presidents who serve with the consent of the governed, not at the pleasure of the United States Congress. Let the people decide, he says. Well, if you actually want the, to rely on the people and their decision, well, they already did. Three million more of the people voted for Trump's opponent in 2016. And when a much larger majority of Americans voted for what has amounted to a minority of the U.S. senators right now who are sitting as jurors in this trial. Yes, those voting to shut down this trial, voting against a fair trial, voting against having witnesses and documents, if that is what happens, they represent a far smaller number of Americans than those senators in the minority who are calling for a fair trial. Anyway, uh, that's your great uh, senior Republican statesman, Lamar Alexander, and uh, he is regarded as one of the most sensible nonpartisan Republicans now in the U.S. Senate. So uh, good luck with that Republican Party. The other uh, no vote that we know about as we go to air is Lisa Murkowski. Of Alaska, she says in her statement, I worked for a fair, honest and transparent process modeled after the Clinton trial to provide ample time for both sides to present their cases, to ask thoughtful questions and determine whether we need more. Well, I should note in the uh, Clinton trial, they had witnesses. So if this is supposed to be modeled on the on the Clinton trial, it ain't. She says the House chose to send articles of impeachment that are rushed and flawed. I carefully considered the need for additional witnesses and documents to cure the shortcomings of its process, but ultimately decided I will vote against considering motions to subpoena. Given the partisan nature of this impeachment from the very beginning and throughout, I have come to the conclusion that there will be no fair trial in the Senate. I don't believe the con uh, believe the continuation of this process will change anything. It is sad for me to admit that as an institution, the Congress has failed. She says she uh, adds, we are sadly at a low point of division in this country. And so I guess to help that division, she is uh, helping to continue make this entire mess more divided. And now, more of a sham. I should also note in the uh, 1999 uh, Clinton trial, Impeachment trial, the parties spent a combined five hours and 28 minutes presenting closing arguments before the Senate then entered four days of closed door jury deliberations, totaling nearly 26 hours. The Senate then finally voted to acquit Clinton on two articles of impeachment. 
But right now, this thing could just be shut down in an hour or two. Uh, we will see what they end up uh, uh, voting on uh, late Friday. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut said the Democrats are considering all parliamentary options to force as many votes as we can to put the Republicans on the record regarding this trial process. He said, I know they all want to go watch the Super Bowl, but that's not what they got elected to do. Uh, Now, there are some reports uh, as all of this is moving forward that uh, the trial could be extended into next week. This, according to reporting from The Washington Post, that uh, spoke with uh, a number of officials, including administration, a senior administration official and two congressional officials on Friday, said that it was unlikely that senators would rush immediately to a verdict if the vote for witnesses fails. A longer schedule could mean that the trial stretches beyond Monday's Iowa caucuses, further complicating the campaign schedules of the four senators seeking the Democratic nomination who are now sitting as jurors. But you know what? Who cares? I suspect they don't even care. And remember, Mitch McConnell has been saying that he wanted to uh, model this uh, on the Clinton impeachment model all uh, all along. And, of course, in that impeachment trial, they voted to call witnesses just as they have in every single impeachment trial in U.S. history, all 15 of them, which apparently averaged 33 witnesses per trial. This one will have zero. That is not a trial. That is is perhaps one of the greatest cover-ups in U.S. history. So congratulations on that, Mr. Majority Leader. So uh, we will see what happens should the Senate embark on a process that could include hours of floor time speeches so that senators can explain their votes. Uh, If so, a final verdict could be delayed as late as Wednesday. That would be after the Iowa caucuses on Monday and after Donald Trump's State of the Union address on Tuesday. But a congressional official noted that much depends on what a majority of senators want to do. A simple 51 vote majority could choose to hasten the final verdict at any point. So that's a short way of saying We have no idea where things are going, but we will be talking about where we have been momentarily with my guest, David Ferris, of the week. Before we get to him, however, Sheldon Whitehouse was speaking on Thursday after the session closed there about the price that Donald Trump will or won't pay among voters. I think there's a hit for having been impeached. I think there's another hit for having had to cook the trial in order to get himself acquitted. And I think there's a continuing drag of evidence as more things Mm. come out that show just how badly fixed this was. On the other hand, Republicans love and live by the art of grievance, and he is a master at packaging grievance and marketing it to his base. And this is the epic grievance. The wicked Democrats have come after me when all I tried to do was to sell out our national interests to get our Ukrainian ally over a barrel and have them cook up a fake investigation to help me in my election. So that's the price that Donald Trump may or may not pay over the next nine months. What about uh, Mitch McConnell? Will there be any price that he has to pay? 
uh, no matter how the next hour or two or day or three play out. We'll talk about that next with David Ferris of the week and of Roosevelt University. He will join us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. No, there is no crying in impeachment proceedings. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That uh, bumper song was suggested by our friend, historian Richard Hayes Phillips today. As part of the Democratic House manager's argument on Friday as to why witnesses and documents must be introduced in the Senate impeachment trial of Donald John Trump, lead manager Adam Schiff argued that half a trial... A trial without witnesses, in truth, is no trial at all. Further, he argued, without those witnesses, for the first time in a Senate impeachment trial in U.S. history, the American people, who by an astounding 75 to 20 percent majority, want to see witnesses and documents in this trial, and that if they don't, they would never regard this trial as a fair one. The importance of a fair trial here is not less than in every courtroom in America. It is greater than any courtroom in America because we set the example for America. I said at the outset, and I'll repeat again, your decision on guilt or innocence is important, but it's not the most important decision. If we have a fair trial, however that trial turns out, whatever your verdict may be, at least we can agree we had a fair trial. At least we can agree that the House had a fair opportunity to present its case. At least we can agree that the President had a fair opportunity to present their case, if we have a fair trial. And we can disagree about the verdict, but we can all agree the system worked as it was intended. We had a fair trial, and we reached a decision. Rob this country of a fair trial and there can be no representation that the verdict has any meaning. How could it if the result is baked in by the process? That argument by Adam Schiff about that lack of a fair trial is one of the reasons that David Ferris of the week argued on Thursday that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has made a rare blunder in how he has carried out his effort to well, fix this trial on behalf of Donald Trump. Joining us now to defend that contention and other lessons we might learn from this extraordinary, 
precedent-setting moment in American history in in seeming contradiction, really, with the will of the Constitution's framers, which Republicans for so long have pretended to adhere to, is David Ferris. He is a contributor at The Week. He is an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University in Chicago and author of the book It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. David Ferris, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Uh, it's great to be here, Brad. I wish uh, under happier circumstances. Well, it's uh, certainly extraordinary circumstances uh, as we go to air today, David. The uh, votes for or against witnesses have not yet been taken in the U.S. Senate, so we don't know exactly how that will work out and how other procedural matters will uh, will play themselves out as we uh, as we go to our discussion here. Uh, those procedural matters could potentially. We don't know, but could potentially extend this process through Wednesday, even as McConnell is working hard to wrap this up before the Super Bowl on Sunday, the Iowa caucuses on Monday. Uh, and I think most importantly to Republicans, I suspect the president's State of the Union speech on Tuesday. I know that uh, many of our affiliate stations uh, may be carrying this uh, program later on after some of these points are known that you and I do not know, David. Uh, but in any event, I want to focus on some big picture points, as you discuss in your two most recent columns at the week, one of which I agree with. One of which I do not, but uh, you'll tell me why I'm wrong about that. Uh, but first, I want to get your thoughts on the announced plans anyway for how uh, four of the key Republican senators in this matter, the ones believed to be the potential swing votes for witnesses, uh, though, you know, anything could change uh, as we go to air right now, Susan Collins. Uh, has said she will vote yes in favor of witnesses. Mitt Romney is believed to be a yes for witnesses. Tennessee uh, Senator Lamar Alexander says no. And Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski says no. Let me start with Alexander, David, uh, the Tennessee, Tennessee senator. He's retiring at the end of this term. He said uh, in his statement, quote, there is no need for more evidence to prove something that has already been proven and that does not meet the United States Constitution's high bar for an, in, an impeachable offense. He says it was inappropriate for the president to ask a foreign leader to investigate his political opponent and to withhold U.S. aid to encourage that investigation into the Bidens, but that, quote, the Constitution does not give the Senate the power to remove the president from office and ban him from this year's ballot simply for actions that are inappropriate. David, your response to uh, Lamar Alexander there? Well, I mean, I think it's telling. Um that the, the senator from Tennessee has essentially conceded the substantive case against the president, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, and and they're they're merely offering uh, a pretty tortured reading of the Constitution to to justify their refusal to remove the president from office. I think it's worth noting also that he's wrong uh, about a variety of things, but most importantly, the idea that that the Senate would be removing him from the ballot that that is that impeachment and removal just you, you don't you require a separate vote. Mm -hmm. To ban the president from office, right? So, in theory, the Senate could remove President Trump from office, but let him run again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, so and, and, and they could get, and there. they could get both uh, both things they've been looking for, which is to say, let the American people decide. Well, they would let him decide if he, uh, you know, was removed from office, but stayed on the on the ballot for November. Exactly. In other words, they could do 
their constitutional duty, which is to hold the president accountable for the crimes that he's committed, while simultaneously leaving it to the American people um, to decide whether they would like this man to continue to be the president. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's just, they're, they're just splitting hairs. Um, and the idea that the framers of the Constitution would not have regarded the president's conduct as, as impeachable is just, you know, uh, it's just beyond parody to me. There's only a couple of things that the, uh, that the Constitution mentions as, as impeachable offenses, and, and bribery is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this, is a, this is a clear case of bribery, right? Um, were you surprised? Were you surprised that a case, uh, you know, a senator here who is retiring at the end of his term, he doesn't have sort of the same pressures. He doesn't have to stay on the ballot. Doesn't have sort of the same pressures that many of these other senators might. That uh, he was willing to say, yeah, he did it, but uh, it would just be uh, too divisive if we uh, if we you know <laughs> voted as per the Constitution to remove him. I mean, at this point, I'm not surprised that. I mean, I'm not surprised by anything that, that the Republican Party does to, to preserve its power and, and to protect the president. I, I remain, I guess, disappointed mm-hmm. um, on a basic human level that people like Alexander, who are retiring, will not take a single difficult vote, you know, to, to stand up on principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's clear that he thinks the president did something wrong. I think that there's there's a couple of dozen of Republican senators who, who, would, who would love for this guy to be done. <laughs> make their lives easier, mm-hmm. um, but but they simply they simply won't do it, and that's you know that's including a lot of senators don't face the electorate again until twenty twenty four. I mean they have nothing yeah. to worry about. Yeah, you you would um, think. And another one of these profiles in Courage, of course, is uh, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. She says. She's voting no to subpoena witnesses and documents because, quote, the House chose to send articles of impeachment that are rushed and flawed and that given, quote, given the partisan nature of this impeachment, I have come to the conclusion that there will be no fair trial in the Senate and that she does not, quote, believe the continuation of this process will change anything, adding that, quote, as an institution, the Congress has failed. Uh, and apparently she does not want to help it be a more fair trial or apparently uh, help the Congress not to fail. David Ferris? Yeah, Lisa Murkowski really has sounded for some time like someone who wants to go home and spend more time with her family. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> like never... Never more than in this this very like weary uh, and depressing statement that she put out. It's like Senator, if you wanted the impeachment to be bipartisan, then vote to remove him, and then it is bipartisan. Right? You know? Like all of the people complaining about the partisan nature of the impeachment have the power in their hands to make it bipartisan, and so it's just such an act of cowardice on on her part. But again, to to essentially admit that that the president did what he's accused of doing, but to hide behind this this empty process critique of what happened in the House. To, to not do her job, to not to not you know fulfill her responsibility under the Constitution, to hold the president accountable when, when he commits crimes, but you know with a very small handful of exceptions, this, this is how this set of Republicans uh, that we watch so closely. This is how they've acted every single time. You know, well, and when they have done the, the right thing, it's, it's it's usually only briefly, so they can do the wrong thing. You know, like when they voted to have Kavanaugh investigated for like four hours, mm-hmm. they, they only did it to to cover themselves when they inevitably voted to to confirm him. You know. Yep. And they so, and, uh, and in that case as well, they carried out a uh, a phony FBI investigation. I think uh, history uh, will ask uh, which was the most disgraceful that uh, display in the Kavanaugh case, or the, uh, what is seems to be going on right now in the U.S. Senate in this impeachment case. 
David, uh, speaking of failure, uh, you you wrote at uh, at the week. Uh, as the uh, House Democratic managers were uh, beginning to offer their opening case a week or so ago, um, and depending on how this plays out, it could be their closing case, that uh, Democrats, in transmitting their articles of impeachment to the Senate, uh, had, quote, walked right into Mitch McConnell's procedural trap. Uh, That because they sent the articles over to the Senate in the first place, you argue that Democrats, quote, still scared of their own shadows and uh, uh, neurotically obsessing over losing a single white voter who can walk into a cornfield will have kicked away another opportunity to properly leverage their power. Okay, I will bite. Uh, How (laughs) how so? What should they have done there? Well, I mean, from the beginning of this process, I, I think it's been pretty clear. I, I guess maybe I've had like one or two moments where I thought, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe he could be removed. But, but for the most part, you know, sensibly, we all knew how this was going to end um, if, if, if articles were ever sent to Mitch McConnell's mm-hmm. Senate. Right, so you, you, you know the ending. And so what's in your power is to control the proceedings uh, up until the moment that the articles get to the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in that sense, the Democrats from the beginning of the of the Ukraine scandal when it broke, seemed to really have been in, in a, just a, an insane hurry to, to wrap this thing up and give it to Mitch McConnell. And I think that the, the much wiser thing to do would have been to, you know, A, let these uh, court battles over subpoenas and witnesses play out. Mm-hmm. As that's happening, you, you wait for new information to emerge. Right? And new information has emerged. You know, since the impeachment articles were sent over, we have all this stuff from, from Lev Parnas, the mm-hmm. Uh, a potential plot on on the, the the life of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to talk about Bolton, right? Uh, we, we've already found out things that would have that would have completely changed. I think the tenor and perception of the hearings in the House of Representatives, which I, I you know I don't think were like super great theater. Not that that should be the only consideration, um, but but you know the, the chance of having Bolton come before the House sometime between now and the election. In detail, his conversation with the president about how the president wanted um, Ukraine to open up fake investigations into Biden. I, I just think that they, they kicked away that chance, and they also could have opened up multiple avenues of inquiry and just kept them open um, through the election. Right? And that that sort of that keeps the stench of, of scandal uh, on on the president without then offering McConnell the, the chance to, uh, to to vindicate him on on his own terms. You know. Why, why do you think the uh, Democrats in that case did hurry? They claim it was to, to basically to save the election because he was trying to cheat in this uh, upcoming election and therefore they had to move quickly on this. Uh, do you, do you uh, reject that argument as not sincere or, uh, or, or short-sighted on their part? I say, I mean, both. I mean, I don't doubt that there are some Democrats in Congress who, who maybe believe that, but I think that the real consideration here was that Democrats did not believe that a lengthy inquiry that overlaps with uh, with major election processes would be good for the party. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, they got you know they looked at like one of Nate Cohen's polls from October for the New York Times mm-hmm. um, and concluded that they were in trouble in the Midwest and that anything that they did related to impeachment would make it worse. And so they had this you know they had two imperatives operating at once. On the one hand, I think they really wanted to do the right thing and, and impeach the president who richly deserves it, mm-hmm. um, and, and that by not doing so. They would be kind of sending this unmistakable signal to, to future presidents that they could do whatever they want. But, uh, but on the other hand, I think that they are sort of obsessively concerned um, with, the, with the fortunes of, of these sort of what they call the frontline Democrats in these moderate districts, mm. when in reality, I think that, you know, their fate is going to 
is going to rest in, in sort of the national mood. You know, if the president is popular, then you know, then some of those Democrats are in trouble whether they impeach or not, or whatever they say or do or vote for. It doesn't really matter mm. because the elections for the House and Senate are essentially nationalized at this point. So, I just think it was a I think it was a mistake. Um, I think I think the Democrats had sort of one chance to do impeachment, and uh, and I think that they could have been much more strategic about its timing, about um, the kinds of, of witnesses that they brought before the committee. And, I, I, yeah, I mean, I kind of think they blew it, to be honest. So they, they wanted to do the right thing. They just wanted to do it as quickly as possible so nobody would notice they were doing the right thing. Uh, the, <laughs> exactly. Those uh, exactly. cowardly Democrats, as you characterize them, uh, though, they actually did seem to put on a pretty bold case in the Senate. And, and much to my surprise, uh, even their normally uh, lead coward, uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, actually hung pretty tough throughout, it seemed to me, in demanding all of those votes for witnesses at the beginning of the trial, even forcing the Senate to stay in session until 2 a.m. Uh, on that first day of procedural votes. Uh, do you agree that the case itself that they did bring, that they have been bringing ultimately, actually was, uh, I thought, a pretty bold and courageous case? You? I mean, uh, it's a good case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the president did what he was accused of doing, and I, I, don't, I don't think that there's a, more than a handful of, of true Trump believers in the House who, who, who really believe otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just, it's just strains credibility that, that all of these people are lying and the president is telling the truth. Um, so, in, in that sense, you know, I, I, I applaud the Democrats for for moving forward with an impeachment process. I just I object to the the sort of uh, the timing of turning this over to McConnell mm-hmm. when the president could have been allowed to, to sort of twist in the wind up through Election Day and, and beyond, if, mm-hmm. if that's what the Democrats have wanted to do. I think that they maybe believed, um, and I can't really blame them for this, but I think that they maybe believed that that once the American people heard the evidence, you know, some, some small percentage of them would would say that they stopped, they don't they no longer support the president, they wouldn't vote for him. Um, and that just does not seem to be what happens, you know. Well, um, let, let me get to uh, some of that. I'm speaking, by the way, with uh, David Ferris, political science professor at uh, Roosevelt University in Chicago. Um, it, actually, before I get to that, we, we just want, uh, on, on, on the uh, issue of Democrats making mistakes, uh, did, did they make a mistake by not naming former Republican-turned-conservative-independent Congressman Justin Amash of Texas as one of the House managers, uh, given his ability to uh, speak Republican, if you will, to his uh, to his colleagues? Uh, I think they made a mistake there. Uh, what's, what's your thoughts on that, David? You know, I mean, I have to say I'm kind of agnostic about this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I think that the argument for it is that it would it would build it would build some kind of credibility for the for the House managers try, uh, pre- presentation mm-hmm. and you know maybe convince some some Republicans um, that the case has merit. Uh, I, you know I think the reality is is that I think most of the Republicans in the Senate do think the case has merit. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're voting the other way because they're they're scared of losing the November elections and they're scared of the president. You know sending sending someone to primary them or, or attacking mm-hmm. them on Twitter whatever it is they're worried about. Um, they they think that that removing the president from office will endanger their Senate majority, uh, at the least. Yeah. Um, and so this is what they're doing. And, it, you know, you could, have had, you could have Justin Amash, you could have had, you know, whoever you want. You could have brought John Kasich up to, to make the case. It doesn't yeah, matter. Not true. Um, you, 
you know, it doesn't matter who the messenger is. Well, it the, wouldn't matter. It wouldn't want to hear the message. Well, it wouldn't matter to those senators, perhaps, but it might have made a difference to the American people, I guess, to uh, to some people, you know, when they heard guys like Justin Amash and uh, John Kasich even, you know, speaking Republican to them. But uh, it wasn't only the Democrats you saw as making a, a critical error here in sending those articles over too early. Uh, you wrote. Uh, just uh, yesterday, uh, well, a day or so ago, you wrote on Thursday after uh, McConnell had said that he did not uh, yet have the votes at that time to block witnesses. And before we knew how these uh, so-called moderate senators ha- were you know, planning to vote anyway, uh, you wrote in a column uh, at The Week headlined Mitch McConnell's rare blunder that Mitch McConnell is reportedly furiously trying to whip the votes necessary to avoid calling witnesses in the Senate's impeachment trial of President Trump. This seems like a rare case where McConnell is making a politically substantive error that in arguing uh, to keep witnesses out of the trial. Uh, Really? Please explain that argument, David Ferris, and and (laughs) then I'll tell you why you're wrong. Go ahead. Well, uh, for two reasons, I think. Um, One is that you know, uh, this this feels short, and I mean, I think this feels abbreviated, even you know, even to independence. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, I, I don't know that there's anybody that could look at what happened in the Senate this week and say that, that a fair trial happened here. Um, and I think that that goes even for people who may have had substantive or procedural concerns with what happened in the House. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so, what McConnell did is he handed the Democrats a, a sort of a, a, a bat to, to beat them with for the next. Uh, nine months, eleven months, about about the legitimacy of the trial in the Senate, mm-hmm. um, and it, I just don't think that you know I, I don't think that the cost of witnesses um, is is so high for for Republicans that they had to that they had to jam this through so so quickly, you know, and, um, so because the the because you noted at the beginning of the segment, right, like po- polling suggests that pretty decisive majorities of Americans think that witnesses should be should be called in this trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can see the logic, right? Like, two to one majorities wanted Merrick Garland to have a hearing in 2016, too, and it didn't matter ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think McConnell is gambling that, you know, we're all going to have short memories again, and, and no one's, no one's going to vote based on their opinion about whether witnesses should be called. But why take the chance, you know? Um, well, and then. I- and then yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead well, no, I, I will. I will tell you why I take the chance. And by the way, you're making uh, sort of the same argument that I uh, wanted to play. Uh, Adam Schiff was making on Friday there uh, that we played at the top that this will be seen as uh, you know an unfair trial. Uh, but an hour before Friday's hearing, New York Times reported that John Bolton's book puts White House counsel and uh, the leader of Trump's defense team in the Senate, Pat Cipollone, uh, in on the Ukraine pressure scheme themselves. And within just the past hour, as we go to air here, David, uh, Lev Parnas's lawyer sent a letter to uh, McConnell letting him know that Parnas, a firsthand witness in all of this, would be happy to testify at the Senate trial and that he would explain who was involved in the conspiracy to remove the anti-corruption warrior uh, uh, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, and to dig up dirt on Joe Biden in Ukraine. And he named names including Trump, Mulvaney, Vice President Mike Pence, Attorney General Bill Barr, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, Senator Lindsey Graham, Congressman Devin Nunes, 
and many others. Isn't that an argument for shutting this damn thing down right off the bat, uh, David, if you're Mitch McConnell, rather than keeping it open uh, with witnesses who, good Lord, who knows how far this goes? Well, I mean, I think the assumption here is that if if the witnesses don't get called, we're never going to find out what happened. Um, and I, I just don't. I just don't necessarily think that's, that's the case, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like Parnas is, is, you know, Parnas is facing jail, so he's going to sing no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're going to, whether he's called as a witness in the impeachment trial or not, um, the American people are eventually going to find out whatever is bouncing around in, in his head there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, Bolton's book is, you know, it's, it's either going to come out or it's going to get leaked. Um, so we'll know whatever John Bolton knows. Um, the rest of these people, you know, are just going to lie. So yeah, but they'll be caught. But they'll be any testimony. He's just going to lie. Yeah, but they'll, uh, it's a lot harder to lie when the whole world literally is watching, and you're mi- in the middle of a U.S. Uh, uh, you know Senate impeachment trial with the. Uh, Supreme Court Chief Justice over your shoulder and documents that if they show you are lying, that is a very serious matter. I I mean, I I would think they would uh, claim the fifth rather than lying. Do you think they'll really come to the uh, well of the Senate and lie about all of this stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in order to have consequences for lying to Congress, you have to have someone like willing to prosecute you for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because, you know, the attorney general of the United States now Mm -hmm. is in the pocket of the president. Um, you, you can basically lie to Congress with, with total impunity and, and be very confident that nothing will ever happen to you for it. I mean, I think the other thing is that McConnell, I, I, we're all talking as if, like, there, there had to be some kind of negotiation about which witnesses get called. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but McConnell has, the, has full power to call whoever he wants, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so he could have just called, you know, I don't know, uh, Parnas and Bolton. Um, Parnas is, you know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not but the, exactly the most credible witness in the world, right? They could have they could have roasted that guy. Uh, um, well, maybe, but I mean, I think uh, <laughs> calling those guys would not have made this case any better for Mitch McConnell. And I agree with your point, David, that uh, you know the information is going to come out anyway eventually. Uh, much of it probably before the uh, before the 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 election. But uh, I would argue, and I'll give you the last word on this, uh, that right now. Right now is when the entire nation is watching, uh, when there's a, a hot U.S. Senate impeachment trial going on versus later in the midst of the, you know, the 2020 campaign. People will be fighting and voting and when Fox News will be better able to simply ignore damaging information, which, of course, they're trying to do right now. But it is much harder to do in the middle of, you know, only the third U.S. Senate impeachment trial in U.S. history if that information were to come out now. You know, I mean, yeah, you might be right. I mean, there's, there's no way to know um, in advance how this would play out during the election because, it's you know, this, it's not what's going to happen. I, mm-hmm. I just think um, I think that there's there's significant downside risk for for the Republicans um, that once the once the focus does shift to the election, which is what what will happen mm-hmm. immediately after the president is acquitted, um, we have the we have the Democratic primaries heating up. You know, the president's got 150 million dollars to burn uh, immediately. You know, we're going to get into that cycle, and it's going to be intense, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be intensely fought. Um, and uh, but I do think that that new damaging information about this scandal. Or, or any scandal related to, to Russia, Ukraine, that comes out as the election is going, could could be worse for mm. the president. Right? Like the closer to the election um, that something damaging comes out, uh, the less time.
time the president has for it to, to, to like wear off yeah. um, into, into the natural sort of partisan sorting that, that we see in, in this country. Mm-hmm. And so, I, but first, if I'm the president, I'd rather have it come out now rather than in October. Well, you yeah. would be a much smarter president who thinks these things <laughs> through, David. I'll, I'll point, folks, uh, point folks over to your, uh, to your article and your argument, uh, Mitch McConnell's Rare Blunder. Uh, they can find at theweek.com where you explain that uh, it's better to rip the Band-Aid off today and get all the damaging information that exists out into the open rather than closer to the election. Uh, David, before I let you go here, um, just to just to further put you on the spot, uh, do you have any uh, expectations, <laughs> predictions, hopes, or fears uh, about what uh, may happen on Monday night at the Iowa caucuses as the 2020 election kicks off for real uh, with the very first votes cast and, and delegates decided for this critical presidential election? Well, I mean, I, you know, if I had to, if I was going to put money on this, which mm-hmm. I'm not. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then I'll cancel our bet. Too volatile. All right. Go ahead. Too yeah. volatile. It does. It does look like Bernie Sanders is surging. Yeah. Um, it looks like he's surging at, at the right time, um, and sort of expanding his his lead in, in the polls of Iowa. Um, but the, the sort of dynamics of these caucuses are so are so unique, um, and even even polling a few days before uh, the caucuses in the past has, has proven to be pretty pretty off. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think there's a, a number of different possibilities for, for what could happen on Monday night. Um, it looks like Buttigieg has faded, um, and so it, it, it looks like it's, you know, Warren, Biden, or, or Bernie. And uh, you just you see poll after poll with Bernie in the lead, and why would you bet against that, you know? And uh, a, a win for Bernie in Iowa, does that uh, carry through through the next, uh, what do we got? It's, it's very uh, attenuated. This t- It's, uh, you know, Iowa, then New Hampshire, then Nevada, then South Carolina, and then Super Tuesday. I mean, this thing could be over in about five weeks. Does that momentum from Iowa carry through for the next five weeks for Bernie if he does win? I mean, it, it looks like it could. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he has a big lead in New Hampshire. Um, and no one who has ever won both Iowa and New Hampshire has, has lost the nomination. I, I think it's, it's interesting that one of two really unprecedented things is going to happen. <laughs> right? uh, either the person, it looks like Bernie will win both Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and if he doesn't get the nomination, that, that would be a first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would also be a first for the person, for someone to leave the polling uh, of the primary from, from beginning to the day that Iowa votes nationally, mm-hmm. uh, and then for that person not to get the nomination. And that, that's what looks like could happen to Joe Biden. Um, who you know we'll, we'll get our last national poll prior to the start of the of the, of the voting um, this weekend, but he still leads the polling average, uh, and and so this you know it's just it's proof that when we talk about certainties, but based on what's happened in the past and, and primaries and, and caucuses, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a, that's an iron law. And, uh, there's been so few of these things, but I think it's still possible for anything to happen, um, and it's possible that Biden could make a stand in South Carolina and then. Uh, win enough delegates on Super Tuesday to make it a to make it a long fight. Um, I think most worrisome for Biden is uh, we've seen a couple of polls of California now that put Sanders up there, mm-hmm. um, and there's just so many delegates coming out of California um, mm-hmm. that I, you know it just seems like that would be a dagger. Uh, to, to the heart of the Biden campaign. Yeah, you're, um, you're welcome, rest of the country. Uh, <laughs> d- yeah. d- by the way, David, is um, uh, Bernie Sanders the type of Democrat? Is he the type of fighter 
who 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 you speak about when in your book. It's time to fight dirty. How Democrats can build a lasting majority in American politics. Would you uh, include Bernie Sanders as uh, one of those uh, dirty fighters, if you will? <laughs> well, um, you know, he certainly shares a, a policy vision that I that I believe in. I think I'd, I'd love to hear him talk a little bit more aggressively about um, sort of using all the powers that his disposal and the mm-hmm. disposal of some theoretical Democratic Senate to push legislation through. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's still um, this idea that his, that his election and, and his, his use of the bully pulpit will, will somehow uh, allow Democrats to do things in the Senate with the filibuster in place. And, I, you know, um, I just don't think that's the case. Um, and, uh, you know, for somebody who wants to make such radical change, um, he's going to have to at some point contemplate um, using radical, radical but legal procedures mm-hmm. um, to get those things done, and then to lock those games in. So um, there's a sense in which I, I actually hear a little bit more of that from Warren than I do from Sanders. But mm. um, you know, it, it, it just doesn't look like um, doesn't look like she's going to be the candidate. And uh, so I, I hope that if Bernie uh, is the candidate and he does win the presidency, I hope um, that he's willing to to violate some norms. Yeah. <laughs> to make to make positive progress. We, we could use that now. Uh, read about those uh, the, the advice for violating those norms in David Ferris's book, It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. David is a contributor at The Week, associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University in Chicago. Find his columns at theweek.com and follow him on the Twitters at David M. Ferris. Always great talking to you, my friend. Uh, I suspect we'll be doing it again soon. Thank you, brother. Yeah, always great to be here, Brad. Thanks so much. You bet. Okay, quick break. Uh, it looks like they may have voted in the U.S. Senate. Oh, we'll, boy. Uh, yeah, we'll take a quick break, and we will be back with that and our closing few minutes on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah, can I get a witness? No. You cannot. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Looks like we finally have a definitive answer to that. No, there will be no witnesses in, for the first time in U.S. history in a Senate impeachment trial of a president, in a Senate impeachment trial of anyone. There will be no witnesses, according to the vote that uh, just occurred in the U.S. Senate, um, uh, denying subpoenas for witnesses and documents by a vote of 51-49, just as uh, sort of predicted when we uh, came on to air here at the beginning of the hour. What happens next? Well, that seems to be up in the air. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer just gave a statement to, uh, to the media. To not allow a witness, a document, no witnesses, no documents in an impeachment trial is a perfidy. It's a grand tragedy 
one of the worst tragedies that the Senate has ever overcome. America will remember this day, unfortunately, where the Senate did not live up to its responsibilities, where the Senate turned away from truth and went along with a sham trial. This, if the President is acquitted with no witnesses, no documents, the acquittal will have no value because Americans will know that this trial was not a real trial. It had no witnesses, no documents. It is a tragedy on a very large scale. I will be now going up to my caucus to discuss what we're doing next. I will not talk about it here. Okay? Thanks. Now, Senate Major uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, responding after the uh, vote to turn down witnesses in an impeachment trial, and I guess I have to put the word trial now in quotes, yes. uh, for the first time in U.S. history, something that 75% of the American public wanted to see. They wanted to see witnesses. And I would say there are also broader consequences because every foreign government now knows that Trump welcomes attacks on U.S. elections and he will re reward them for doing so. Chuck Schumer called this not a real trial, a tragedy on a very large scale. I think earlier in the show, uh, I called this uh, one of the greatest cover-ups in the history of the nation. And I stand by it. So that is where we are, whether the uh, vote to acquit will come shortly hereafter or if it will take a matter of days. That is still up in the air as we get off air. But we will pick all of this up, I suspect, on the next thrilling edition of the Bradcast. I hope you will be there with us. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, David Ferris of the Week, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated, never more so than uh, on what, uh, the, what has been our 16th anniversary uh, week at bradblog.com. Thank you for those of you who have dropped us a gift in the anniversary uh, tip jar at bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% reader and listener supported. So thank you for your help. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog, where I hope you will find, follow, and share everything that we do. That's uh, another great way you can help our work here on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.